And then, you know, going into adulthood, into a marriage, I've been married almost 24 years, and a husband that for circumstances outside of his control couldn't really be present. And then having like all of these kids, it was just like stress after stress and loneliness and depression and and sadness and not healing from past wounds that makes me completely understand that sort of addictive personality. So for me, it wasn't, you know, drugs or alcohol or food, so to speak, although I did have comfort eating habits like a lot of us have. For me, it was like I just kind of had this good sense about me that I had to keep moving. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Brooke Hemingway. Brooke is a 40-something mom of six who went from the traditional Western medicine world to holistic health and real wellness five years ago. She also went from being busy having babies and supporting her husband full-time while he worked as the chief of ER to becoming a full-fledged entrepreneur while nursing babies, having babies, homeschooling, and flailing her way through the messy middle to come out way further along than she could have ever imagined. She started her first business with her fifth baby being six weeks old, became a million-plus-dollar earner right after the birth of her sixth child, and went on to create three more six-figure businesses. So let's get this conversation going. And welcome Brooke Hemingway to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Brooke, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you came highly recommended to me through our mutual friend, Amberly Lago. And anytime she refers me a guest, I'm always welcoming with open arms. So, th- so thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. She's amazing. I mean, everybody that she connects me with as well, I feel the same way. And, uh, we definitely have a great connection. And when I was on her podcast, I basically just said it like it was and and she loved it. So I'm glad I'm here to do the same with your audience. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like just from listening to your to more about your story, like you, Amberly, and I have quite a bit in common in that there's the fitness aspect where we the three of us have been in the fitness space for a long time. And then Amberly and I obviously have our own stories of overcoming addiction, but I've also heard you say that if you didn't like become almost obsessive with with exercise that you felt that you might have like gone down that path potentially too so i guess looking back like you've done so much work on yourself you're so introspective looking back now like why do you say that like why like what was going on in your life how are you feeling that would have kind of given you this intuition that if you didn't find fitness that you know your life could have somehow become destructive Well, I think a lot of us have kind of an addictive personality. When I think of addiction, I don't just think of substances, right? People are addicted to TV, their devices, food, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it is. Like, I tend to have a really addictive personality, kind of more like an OCD type of personality. I obsess over things, and I've always been that way. It's probably why I've been a high performer, and I've been really good at things because I obsess about them. But I think that the thing that brings most of us to that place 
where we feel like I can totally understand why someone starts using drugs. I can totally understand why a mom is sitting in the closet drinking vodka. I 100% understand that and it comes from a place of pain, right? Mm. We all experience pain and you know, mine was maybe not earth shattering, groundbreaking you know, pain, it's the pain that 50 or 60% of people go through. And that was, you know, just seeing my parents, uh, their relationship fall apart, seeing some of the chaos that was related to that growing up and, and just being a teenager when all that went down. And when my dad, so to speak, lost his mind and just watching everything come down in burning flames and having that happen when I was a teenager in the formative years. And then, you know, going into adulthood into a marriage. I've been married almost 24 years and a husband that for circumstances outside of his control couldn't really be present. And then having like all of these kids, it was just like stress after stress and loneliness and depression and and sadness and not healing from past wounds that makes me completely understand that sort of addictive personality. So for me, it wasn't, you know, drugs or alcohol or food, so to speak, although I did have comfort eating habits like a lot of us have. For me, it was like, I just kind of had this good sense about me that I had to keep moving. I had to keep moving. And I remember being extremely depressed, you know, about nine years ago. And one of the saving graces is that at the time, I was paid to be fit basically, right? I was teaching fitness, I was coaching fitness, like I was paid to do it so I had to do it. And I always tell people that that was one of the biggest things that got me through that time in my life. I think I would have run off the road, hit a telephone pole, not joking, that kind of depression, but being able to move my body helped to move my mind on a regular basis out of that place of feeling hopeless, out of that place of feeling like nothing was gonna get any better. And my drug of choice was exercise. And I'm I'm really grateful it was because I have that addictive personality that I'm like, dang, you know, I, I would have been enjoying the daiquiris and, and the margaritas and the pina coladas and all the things at the beach because, uh, you know, who wouldn't? We all go to something. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. I, I wanna get into like you and your husband's relationship and how all of what you just said impacted that. But first, you touched on that you were aware that you just weren't happy and you were depressed. And every time you would feel down, you would exercise. Was there ever a point like throughout that process where you found yourself having an unhealthy relationship to exercise? Well, yeah. I mean, when I was 17, I remember over-exercising, finding a garbage can in the backyard, trying to throw up and, you know, trying to become bulimic, right? Trying to control because there was such a lack of control in my life, you know, growing up with what was happening with my parents. And so that bled into, you know, when I was 18, 19, 20, being a little bit obsessive about counting what I was eating, tracking what I was eating, and, you know, exercising twice a day, sometimes three times a day to have that sense of control. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I don't obsess about those things now. I'm not a macro counter. I have nothing against those of you that love to count your macros, but I will never in my life again count a calorie, count a macro, count anything. Because for me, like that was my way to control is I could exercise multiple times a day, I could eat a certain way and I could have some kind of control over what I looked like, right? Yeah, that's like one of the things that 
that, that you see that's very common amongst things like this is the this yearning to want to control like everything right and like you just pointed out how you wanted to be able to control how much you exercised and what you ate and it became pretty obsessive so um and thanks for sharing what you just shared i mean i know it's not easy to open up about like having unhealthy relationships with food and, and and stuff like that as well so when did things start to shift like what was the moment where you realized you had enough pain that you maybe started to change your habits maybe did you go to therapy did you go to like some support group to that to take this unhealthy relationship that you had with exercise health and wellness and and, and transformed it into you know kind of like what you're doing now I mean, I only went to therapy once for like six months and it was therapy that we went to after we'd been married five years. So we, we'd been married eight years before we had any kids. We've been together a long time. And those first years of marriage, there was a lot of those triggers of like loneliness, not enoughness. And he was always gone, you know, with med school and residency and all these things. And so five years in, it was kind of like, you know, is this as good as it gets? Like, do we really want to build a life together? Is this what we want? And so we went to therapy and that was years ago. I'll be 44, you know, this year. (laughs) That was a long time ago. That's the only therapy actually I ever went to but it was really, really helpful in helping me learn how to let go of expectations, expectations that I was putting on him, expectations that I was putting on me, and understanding how those expectations were actually always leaving me disappointed, discouraged, depressed, and uh, feeling like a victim, quite honestly. And so that's the only therapy I did. And I it's kind of for me been like this 15 20 year journey of sort of growing up and i've just been growing up through the process of having kids and building businesses and being in this long-term relationship and learning how to communicate but outside help for me didn't come in the form of intensive therapy i did do that for six months i've read a lot of books i've listened to a lot of podcasts And I tell people like my exercise, whether it's hiking for an hour or two or going for a long run or whatever it is, like that's therapy to me. When I do that, that's when I think, that's when I talk to God, that's when I cry, that's when I get it all out. I'm a very physical, like visceral, you know, kind of got to feel it kind of a person. So I get my best healing from movement. Movement was a part of my healing. And yes, I had some tools from therapy, But aside from that, the last six, seven years specifically, I've had coaches, I've gone to masterminds, I've done different types of coaching to deal with, you know, trauma and and things that I experienced, disappointment. But I feel like it's a process of being patient with yourself and just realizing like, hey, I never quit on a bad day. I don't quit in a bad season. I don't quit because I'm not getting along with my husband. I don't quit because my business isn't fun right now. It's like, I'm just, I have this built in, like, I'm not a quitter. And so it hasn't been pretty necessarily the whole time, but I've figured it out because I stick with it. I stick with me. I stick with the process. I stick with the relationship. I stick with the business. I I stick with my body. I mean, having six freaking babies, all single births, and every single time getting myself back into shape, like I stick with me. The process of healing was just deciding to stick with me and trust myself and keep working on me and not give up. 
Yeah, gosh, there's a lot there to unpack. And I guess what's what's fascinating to me is not just what you share, but like what we haven't really touched on is that you've built several like very, very successful businesses. Like I'm talking like seven figure businesses, right? And so I guess my, my question into that is, so, so now you're this successful entrepreneur, you've had a lot of success with the company Plexus. Because I know you started the business like in the midst, like after you'd already had like, what, five kids? Was this out of, of fear in that you, you, you mentioned that, you know, you had this, you watched your parents have this dysfunctional relationship. And then early on in your marriage, there, you experienced loneliness. Your husband was away at med school. Was this like, was this business like started out of a means of insecurity? Meaning like you really had to like build something on your own in case something happened with him? No, not at all. Actually, I think I think for a lot of women it is and there probably was an aspect of me I've, I've always been very independent like that's just I, I mean I, I fist punched like the head football player in high school because he was bullying my brother, you know, like that's my personality is I'm five one you know, 115 pounds, like all 115 pounds of me, you know, walking up to the football player, I'm kind of like, you don't mess with me, you know? So I've always been determined and I've always been independent. And even though my husband is making half a million dollars a year as a physician, granted he's working 80 hours a week at three hospitals, like we're already living the dream life. We built our dream house in Hawaii on three acres on the North shore. Like we were living the life, except I was miserable. I was miserable. And I think there are so many people out there that have a good life, but they're miserable because they're not fulfilled. They're not being creative. They're not using their talents. They have a comfortable life, but comfort can be misery. And so I had I had a good life. I have a husband that loves me. We had a good relationship, a strong commitment. When I started my business, we had been married, gosh, 18 years, and we had five kids. And I think honestly, there were a couple of catalysts for me deciding at, you know, almost 40 years of age to with all these humans in my care that were young, that I was going to step into entrepreneurship. I think the first thing was that I wanted to have meaning in my life. I wanted to have meaning. And Viktor Frankl says that people desire meaning, right? we know that there's two theories, like people want to avoid pain and they seek pleasure. That's one reason for doing things. And obviously that is a motivator in some ways for me. But the initial motivator for me was I wanted to have meaning. And he says that that men and women are searching for meaning. And while I have these great humans and I love them and they're like the most important people in my life, I wasn't feeling fulfilled as far as meaning. And I thought, you know what, if I can find something that can help people, I can feel like I have a purpose. I can feel like I have meaning and contribution. And Tony Robbins talks about this, right? Like we have our basic desires and needs and mine is really high for contribution and impact. So that's why I started it. But I also know there was an aspect of me that, you know, is a realist. Like nobody should ever be 100% dependent on somebody else financially, not a man or a woman. Nobody should ever 100% be dependent and have to worry, what if they become disabled? What if they have a mental health crisis? What if they have cancer? What if they have 20 girlfriends? Like what, I mean, you just never know. Like it's not a place that I ever wanna be in. 
And it's not a place that I think anybody should be in because that's a place of disempowerment, not from a place of angry feminism, but in a place like, hey, let's get real. What if something happens? And I always worked a little bit. I worked very part time as an ICU nurse, like, you know, when I was having those babies and I worked in fitness, but you and I both know there's like almost no money in being a personal trainer and like doing that kind of stuff. So I was making a little bit of money, but I wasn't making real money, but I always had my foot in the door for something because I felt like it's just wisdom to have an income of your own. So it was the combination of those two things that drove me to decide to do something other than being a mom. With everything getting more and more expensive, I am constantly looking for new ways to cut costs and find savings and also help my personal training clients do the same. That's why when it comes to buying my organic groceries and household goods, I am all about Thrive Market. With Thrive Market, you can shop everything from healthy pantry essentials to sustainable meat and seafood to frozen fruits and vegetables and non-toxic beauty products, and they are all delivered right to your door. Thrive Market carefully vets every product they carry So you can trust that if it's there, it's the best. Finding savings on items that matter most to you is easy with Thrive Market. You can find what you need because they have over 5,000 food, home, and beauty products. So if you are looking for plant-based, keto, or gluten-free, Thrive Market has you covered. Some of the things that I've really been enjoying from them lately are their chicken breasts, their fish, and their frozen veggies. Plus, when you shop with Thrive Market, you can save time and gas by not having to make that trip to the store because you can buy everything you need online. And best of all, if you happen to find a lower price elsewhere, Thrive Market will match it. So join Thrive Market today to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Doug Fitness to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com slash Doug Fitness. Again, it's thrivemarket.com slash Doug Fitness. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com slash Doug Again, it's earthechofoods.com slash Doug to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Right, right. And I, and I think some people might say looking at you now, like it's easy for you to talk about it in this context now because you have kind of achieved success in business and you've come out on the other side i want to go back like in the early days of this because i can imagine like you got your husband who's working you got five kids you're like still trying to heal from stuff in your past like like what did the day-to-day like look like early and i'm talking like the first few weeks first few months of building this business like give me the details like how did you schedule your day like how did you take care of your kids like what did that all look like 
It was a mess. Like it was a mess. I remember it so vividly. Like I'm not so far removed or so erudite and successful that I don't remember the woman that was nursing a baby, stirring the pot at the stove and leading a Zoom call. Like this is no joke. Like this is what I did. I would be on Zooms, I'd be making dinner and I'd be nursing a baby and you'd see a little hand like come up into the camera. Yeah, that was the hand of my like six month old or my three month old. It was me like literally, I was a hustler. Like I was, I I didn't have help. I didn't have a nanny. I didn't have my mom that lived down the street. I didn't have a house cleaner. I still don't have any of those things. Like it's not the kind of life we live on Kauai or wherever we are. It doesn't lend itself to that. I've just never had that. So it was me alone with all these humans. Somebody had to feed them. Somebody had to change the diapers. Somebody had to do the dishes. That was me. And so it was sometimes early mornings or it was waking up with a baby, grabbing my phone, doing some work, dictating stuff while I'm feeding a human and keeping it alive. And then getting up at 6.30 to get the other little ones ready to go to school and having a toddler and a baby home and setting up a little play space like next to my computer with all their little toys. And I'd be like, mommy's just gonna do a little work. And I'd just be like hustling it there on the computer, getting everything done and doing nap times and juggling food. Like it was literally all on me. I think you can picture what this looked like. I mean, it was messy. The house didn't look perfect. And the thing that was really a shift is that we had lived, you know, pretty traditionally in that, you know, we had this sort of agreement that we didn't make this agreement, but I think people just fall into patterns in their relationships and you fall into agreements to where like, I always did the grocery shopping, I cooked the food, I made sure the kids were taken care of, the house was cleaned up. It was very traditional, not because my husband's like a pig or expected me to do that, but that's just what I was doing. And so when I started having a business, some of those things started to fall through the cracks. Like he'd come home and the house wasn't really clean or we'd eat dinner later or I'd put on a movie so I could finish a Zoom call and then we'd have dinner an hour later. Like I had to just make it work and it was messy and it was freaking amazing. And I look back at that person and I'm like, dang, like you had some grit because most people are not willing to do that. Most people are like, my poor kids. they're suffering, like they're going to be so wounded. They're going to think I don't love them. And my husband is going to be upset because the house isn't clean. And like, they're just not willing to have some chaos and some disorder. And I was willing to have some chaos. I understood like, hey, this isn't going to be pretty. So my day started early. I'd be up in the middle of the night Kids would have to go to bed by 8, and from 8 to midnight when my husband would get home, or 8 to 11, I had this whole list, and I would just run down that list, and my productive time was like 8 to 11 or 8 to 12. That's literally what, that's what my life looked like. It was business mixed in with momming, mixed in with diapers, school plays, like all the traditional stuff with me building a million-dollar business. It was insane. And I'm so glad I did it. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, kudos to you for doing all that, and you should be really proud of yourself. And and obviously, you you have this life now where you're able to live 
you know, a bit more comfortably and have a schedule that really aligns with, with where you want to be at in all areas of your life. I want to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago, and it was talking about how there's, there's just people who maybe aren't willing to make the sacrifices even in their marriage or sacrifices with their kids and say, I got to put my kids first. I could be wrong, but I know when you first started that, that I, that wasn't how you were thinking. I, I would have to imagine that, that initially you struggled with some mom guilt. You're probably stressed that out of your mind. I can imagine there was some tension between you and your husband. If you weren't spending as much time together on a relation in a relationship that was already like having some tr- like troubles off and on at that time. So like, what was that like? How was your mental health during those early stages of this process? And, and how did you like, transform your relationship with mom guilt? How did you transform your relationship with codependency so that you get to a place where you put yourself first and could be like super efficient and productive with the things you needed to do for your business? I mean, that's a big question. There's there's a couple facets to it. I think it was a process and I think it required a lot of patience. And I think the number one thing that we did have, for example, in our relationship is we had commitment. We were committed to each other, right? We, we are that those type of people. Like some people just aren't committed, right? But we are, we're committed. And there came a point about two, two and a half years into my business where I was juggling everything. I was doing everything. That picture I just described for you, like that was my life. I would be up working at six. I would go to bed at midnight. I would do the kids stuff, work throughout the day. It was like I was all in great growth, incredible business, lots of income, not a lot of connection between my husband and I. Not just my fault, right? He was gone working a lot, but also I was gone somewhere else. I was gone into this world of my business and this new thing I'd found where I was getting recognition and success and I was getting attention and I was really good at it and I was just killing it. Like I could do sales for anything and I could just kill it, you know? Like it was like something new and we were not connecting. And about two and a half years in on his birthday, it's like a bomb went off and it just a grenade went off in our house. And we had this argument where he basically said, I'll take the kids and you can have your effing business. And my husband does not cuss. Okay. We're, we're not really cussers. He never swears. It's not a thing, but he used the real word. And I was like, oh, like it was, should have been a wake up call for me because I pushed him to that point And the disconnection was so obvious, but I was standing there holding our baby that was maybe nine months old and I felt nothing, like absolutely nothing. I wasn't sad that he said that. I wasn't mad that he said that. I was just totally numb, like totally numb because I covered up so much pain by trying to achieve and accomplish like a lot of people do, right? Trying to have some kind of cover up for my loneliness and the things that I was feeling. And I had just numbed myself out with work, 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 work. And so he did take the kids, went to the beach. And when he came back, we had a discussion. I remember exactly where I was sitting in the rocker with the baby. And I said, first of all, if you decide to leave, you'll never have the kids and I will take everything. (laughs) Like I was like, let's just lay the ground rule. Okay. You're bringing yourself back to the uh, old school days where you are like beating up the bully or whatever, right? Dude, I was like, dude, like you don't say that to me. Like, okay. But then I said, second of all, you're right. You're right. Like there's a problem and we need to work on it. 
And so we didn't actually, we didn't go to therapy. We just started taking time to take walks and talk or 30 minutes at the end of the day to have eye contact and talk because we weren't even doing that. And I started working on myself. I knew I couldn't change him. He couldn't change me. So I just started working on myself. I hired a coach and then I hired a different coach and I started attending masterminds and going to events and really digging into like, why am I numbing myself out? Why am I so addicted to achievement and performance and being perfect and all of these things? And I I just started working on myself and he resisted at first because when you're starting to elevate and you're starting to change, what does it do to your partner? It makes them really uncomfortable. Like it brings up the fear. Like they start to be afraid, like, oh my gosh, she's changing. Like I need to cling on to her. I need to pull her closer. Like I want her to stay the same. And so he resisted at first, but I persisted. And I remember one day also saying to him, like, I love you, but I'm not responsible for your happiness. I can contribute to your happiness, but I'm not responsible for it. And so I just have to work on me and I just need you to be patient with me. And so many times I repeated that phrase in relationship with him is like, if he would get frustrated that I was on a call too late or I had worked a little too long or I'd broken our commitment to go for a walk or talk or go on a date, because that would happen. It's not like you change from one day to the next and like everything's perfect. It's a process. And when he'd get frustrated, I didn't meet him with fire. You can't meet fire with fire. I met him with, I know I'm working on it. I need you to be patient with me. And and I was saying that to him, but I, I also was saying it to myself because you you always know what your problems are. You don't need anybody to tell you what you need to do because if you get honest with yourself, you know what your problems are. And I needed to be patient with myself. And so, you know, that was a good six months of navigating that. And then he decided as well, you know, he started to ask me, hey, you know, what's that you're reading? What are you listening to? Because I don't believe that you tell somebody like, hey, you need to read this book. You need to listen to this podcast. They're going to act like a teenager and rebel. So I just did my thing, worked on myself, and he started to come along. And we both evolved so much and grown so much that we were able to pull out of that pain cycle and able to come into a deeper connection, a richer love, a greater respect. Like my husband is my biggest fan now. Like every time I go to do anything, he's like, you're gonna crush it, go crush it. Like that's like literally what he says. And he's just cheering me on. But it wasn't like that four years ago, four and a half years ago, we had to fight for that. It's really easy to give up. It's really easy to throw in the towel. It's really easy to be like, you know, you need to, you need to respect me. You need to support me. You need to love me. Like I'm empowered. Like, yeah, I mean, you can do that, but how's that going to work for you? My keeping my family and my relationship and the man that I love and have a history with together was more important than me always being right. Me being angry if I didn't feel supported. And so we both had to soften. We both had to work on it. And you know, that, that was one of the biggest challenges in my journey of going from, you know, being this stay at home mom that took care of all the things to now being like the breadwinner in the house, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, relationships obviously take work and they can be tough, you know, throw in six kids, somebody who's working a lot then somebody who's trying to build a business. I mean, I can't imagine the, the chaos that sometimes would occur 
and the relationship. I want to go back just to provide people some context. When you say you started a business, like you got involved, this is where you got involved with Plexus, right? And then you started to like sell some of their products and kind of get involved with the organization. What did the timeline look like? So from like the first day you started, like how long did it take you to to find success to now like you're getting recognized? And then like, what was the time like where now you're you're getting awards and moving up in rank to the point where you're really like making some serious money? Well, I think people look at where I am right now and they think, oh yeah, I mean, she was a nurse, her husband's a doctor, like she just walked into this. I did not have a social media following. I had 150 Facebook friends. I was not on Instagram. I didn't even know how to tag somebody on Facebook. Like we're talking social media illiterate six and a half years ago. I'm an introvert. I live on an island on three acres surrounded by roosters and horses. Like. I do not have or did not have a big social circle. That was six and a half years ago. Now I have an organization of about 30,000 people that grow a business with me. And the timeline for me was actually really fast because when I decide to do something, I decide that I'm going to master it. I'm going to learn the skills and I'm going to put the work in. So within 11 months, I was making the same income as my husband that was working full-time as a physician. So in 11 months, I grew my income to that level. Within the first three years, I had a seven-figure annually business. And since then, it's it's grown and I've expanded into other areas as a coach and events and things like that. But for me, it was really a fast track, which is not common for everybody, but I am not common. I am very determined and I'm very purpose-driven. And once I find something I love, I'm going to ride that horse hard and I'm going to do it all the way. And it's one of these things that you don't think will work out. But if you actually learn what it is, how to do it and how to do it well, you can grow your income in such a way that you go from making $10,000 part time as a nurse, which is what I was doing, to 500,000, then a million, then a million plus a year. So it was a pretty quick timeline, but it didn't happen because I had a large social following or because I had a sales and marketing background, right? Social sales, we see a lot of that on social media, whether you're an influencer or you're doing what I'm doing. Like I didn't have any experience in that, but you can learn anything. You have a big, beautiful brain in your head. And if you've got Google and you're willing to read and you're willing to be coached, you can learn anything. So that was the philosophy that I took on to grow from basically nothing to surpassing my husband's income by the first year. What a story. Good for you for doing that. That's amazing. It's really cool to hear the backstory when you see things on the surface level to kind of dig deep a little bit and understand like how this all kind of transpired. Do you think that like knowing what you know now about yourself and doing all this work, do you think that your your addictive personality kind of served you when you started to build this business? Because it seemed like with exercise, you found meaning and purpose in that and you became obsessive. And then obviously you had a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with exercise and then you kind of had to fix that. And then now we're, as we're moving into talking about your business, it seems like the same kind of thing. Do you think that's exactly what it was? And then when you had that talk with your husband, you were able to kind of switch gears and, and have a healthier relationship with the business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the things that we think are weaknesses of ours, like I could think that an addictive sort of obsessive personality is a weakness, but I actually think it's it's a superpower if used in the right way. And sometimes we hate those things about ourselves, 
but we have to ask ourselves like what good can that also produce in my life and it's produced a lot of good the difference is if you're not willing to have your eyes open you're not willing to have awareness and you're not willing to change when it's not working for you anymore and ask yourself, hey, like, is this a busy season where I'm working really hard? I'm a little bit obsessive. I'm a little bit addictive. Like, sometimes it has to be that way. And I think if you're too much of a princess, you don't like that. But like, so, there are some times where it's just a busy season and it, that, it requires it of you. And if you have a bit of an addictive or an obsessive, hardworking personality, that serves you well. So you have to ask yourself, is this a season or is it a problem? And if it's a season, it's okay. Like let yourself use your superpower. Let yourself use your strength of being able to focus, being able to produce a high level result in a short period of time. Let yourself do that. But if you start to notice that it becomes a problem, catch yourself, make some adjustments. Little things like taking the walks or spending 30 minutes talking to each other or taking Sunday afternoons off. It's like it's not the pendulum swinging all the way to one side and all the way to the other side. It's like this incremental adjustment when you notice you're off because it doesn't have to become a problem. It doesn't have to be a long-term problem. And you being a hard worker, having a lot of drive, having a lot of ambition, having goals, being a little bit obsessive, that's amazing. It's incredible. Just be able to recognize when it's a problem and be willing to make some adjustments. So well said. I mean, so many of our traits like have a positive and a negative, and it's just being self-aware enough to know, I mean, specifically when it's going bad, right? Because that's when like things can really fall apart if you're, if you're not careful. I want to talk about self-confidence. I think it's a popular topic on the podcast. And you know, a lot of people, when they're, they're stepping their feet into to new waters, new territory, they have trouble, right? Because they're like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, what if nobody talks to me? Like, am I going to be able to make new friends? And you were like the typical person, right? You said you had 150 people that you were friends with on Facebook. You didn't know how to tag somebody. You didn't have Instagram. You're an introvert. So what were some of the things that were the biggest game changers for you early on to develop this confidence to put yourself in the arena of where you have to interact with people on a regular basis and put yourself out there in order to build a business. I have some strong thoughts on this, okay? So there's a lot of self-help. There's a lot of like thought work, like change your thoughts, change your life. Yeah, it's true, okay? The way you think, the way you feel, it's gonna impact how you act. But John Maxwell also says, first you do, then you feel. Right. So a lot of people are doing all this self-help and they're trying to work on their confidence through their thoughts and like all this, you know, mindset stuff. And I, I'm big into mindset. I'm a coach, but I feel like a big part of what grew my confidence is I just started doing things. I was like, well, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to do it because competence develops confidence. Competence develops confidence. And so you can do all the self-help till the cows come home and you can work on your thoughts all day long. But if you don't have the competence, guess what? You can't BS yourself. You can't fool yourself. And so go out there and develop competence in the things that you want to feel confident in. That might mean that you have to speak more or you have to go live more on social media or you have to show your face and your stories. I remember the first live video I did on Facebook. It popped up in my feed the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, like, 
that's horrible, you know? But I got confident at it because I I decided, okay, I'm going to do this regularly because if I'm going to get confident with it and feel comfortable, I got to develop some competence. I went to trainings. I learned how to be engaging. I learned how to use the power of persuasion. Like I spent money. I invested in my growth so that I could have competence. And when you're competent and you know something, whether it's I know about probiotics and gut health and I can talk to you about inflammation all day long or I can talk to you about how to make a million dollars, it's because I'm competent at those things and I have worked hard. It's the 10,000 hour rule, right? So competence breeds confidence. That's the first thing. The second thing is you don't have confidence because you don't trust yourself. You keep saying you're going to do something and you don't do it. You keep breaking your promises with yourself. You don't trust yourself because even the smallest thing like I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. or I'm going to take a 30-minute walk or I'm not going to have chocolate after 8 p.m. or whatever it is, like you continue to break these little commitments with yourself. And when you don't keep commitments to yourself, you don't trust yourself. And when there is not trust, there is not confidence. And so I always teach this in coaching. I'm like, how can you get 1% better? Like, what's one thing you can do? And people will be like, oh, I got this big goal. I, I want to make $50,000 a month. And they're making like $1,000 a month. And I'm like, how can you make $1,500 a month? What small action can you take? And can you do every single day? Habits, right? It's about those habits. And when you have solid habits, you build trust with yourself. And you know, like, hey, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And that kind of person is a person with a lot of confidence. So I think it's this competence factor. We have to develop competence. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can give you the information. They can't give you the experience. You have to go out there and get competent on your own. And then it's the trust and keeping your word to yourself and starting with something really small. And it can even be something that has nothing to do with your business or success goals. When I was going through this thing, you know, four years ago with my husband and I almost burnt out and I actually almost quit and walked away from everything I was doing, I wouldn't have become a coach. I wouldn't have launched events for women in business, none of that stuff, because I almost walked away from it. One of the first things I did so that I could feel confident and worthy is I committed to working out every day again because I had dropped that habit. Even with everything I know, everything with you know, that you know, or Amberly, right? We drop these core habits and other things start to fall apart in our lives. And so I committed to this thing that I call six for six. Like people will hashtag me, tag me on Instagram and stuff. And it came from a place of not wanting to be a perfectionist, but wanting to make a commitment to myself that I kept so that I could start trusting myself again that I could have boundaries and that I could grow my confidence. And it was literally like, I'll move my body and exercise 20 minutes a day, six days a week. That's it. And I started doing that and I've religiously been doing that for the last four years. And you would think, big deal, 20 minutes. Okay, try it out. Let's see how you do on the days when you don't want to or it's summer or it's 10 p.m. It'd be 10 p.m. We were in New York City with our kids a couple summers ago before COVID. It was 10.30 at night. We'd been out all day. I hadn't done a workout. It was pitch black in the room. And I was like, babe, I'm sorry. I got to keep this promise to myself. In the dark, on the floor, doing squats, doing push-ups, doing lunges. Not so I could be sexy. Not so I could be skinny. Not so I could look a certain way. Those are side benefits. 
I do it because I want to be confident. I want to trust myself. I want to respect myself. I want to know when I say I'll do something, I'm going to do it. And that's how I've lived my life the last four years. Yeah. Gosh, that was that was so well said. And I, I think so many people are going to get a lot of value just out of that part of our conversation that it's action first, right? Action creates confidence. I don't think it's the other way around. Like one of the struggles I think people that I coach have is they they see these massive goals, right? They're like, I want to lose 60 pounds. Or if maybe they're talking about starting a podcast and being like, I want to be in the top charts. And it's like, whoa, 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 you just got to start, right? You just got to start with just losing like five pounds, 10 pounds. You got to start just recording one episode, two episodes. So in your world, you you deal with people that their business is, is virtually 100% online. They're seeing people have successes all the time. And they're going to events, celebrations where they're seeing people like yourself and others getting recognized for making some serious money. Like what are some tactics you use when you're coaching and to bring them down to earth? So it's like the person you were saying that is making $1,000 a month and saying, well, I want to make $50,000 a month. Like what are some of the tools that you implement with them to help them set and achieve more reachable goals? Well, I think the first thing is you have to establish the gap, right? So the yeah. gap is like, here's where you are. This is like in all actuality, if you're honest, like this is what you're doing every day in your business and no shame. Like there's no shame. There's no guilt. I'm very clear on that. But it's like you got to actually write down what are you doing? What actions every day that are growing your network, that are growing your sales, that are growing your influence? You know, what are those actual actions? And when most people write those things down and they journal it, just similar to if you kept a food diary, right? Like back when I would, you know, coach people in fitness, they'd be like, okay, I just want you to keep a diary for three days of exactly what you're eating. It's very telling. And that is their starting point. And then it's like, okay, and this is where you want to go. Okay, here's our gap. And I am such a believer in just incremental improvement. One of the first books I ever read in personal development was The Slight Edge. I'm sure you know that book, right? Jeff Olson, The Slight Edge. It's like just the tiniest progress. And so I'll give people steps to help them get, you know, five to 10% better, five to 10% improvement, master that, get that down. In fact, I was, I was teaching a webinar today about how to escape the summer slump because people like go to sleep during the summer and they think, think something magical is going to happen come September. And it's like, listen, like what is the one thing you can do for your body, for your business, for your relationships, for your soul right now in this month that will produce a result? One thing, commit to that one thing. When you do that, after a certain period of time, you've got it down, it's become a habit, you stack another thing on there, right? James Clear, stacking your habits, atomic habits. So my philosophy is don't give somebody a game plan where it's like, okay, do these 10 things. They're not even doing one thing consistently. You know, maybe they're hot for like a couple days. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are this way. Like they'll show up and do the work and be hot for a few days and get a lot done but the rest of the month it's like where are they you know what are they doing and they get decent results like that thousand dollars a month or maybe five thousand dollars a month or ten thousand dollars a month but they want the 50 or they want the hundred so it's really this process of getting them to adopt one consistent habit after another because you don't get what you want you get what your habits are 
So we focus a lot on habits, which could be morning routine, planning the night before, waking up and getting yourself ready. The fact that I wear earrings and get dressed every morning, that was a part of me establishing habits to respect myself and prepare my body for the day. I used to roll out a day out of bed and have my pajamas on and like not put myself together at all, even when I was making a million dollars four years ago. And I was like, how am I showing up? Like I'm not even prepared for the day. I'm just rolling out of bed, crashing into it. No wonder I'm stuck and I'm not making progress. No wonder I'm depressed. No wonder I don't think this is going to get better. I have to establish a habit of taking care of myself. I have to establish a habit of planning the night before, planning every Sunday. So we just start with these basic habits that help get people into the mode where they've got some order in their life and they've got some routines and systems in their life. But for me, it's really about the little things. It's never about the big things. It's always about the small things. And I swear when people start moving their body, their business moves. I'm like, let's start there. How about you move your body six days a week? And and we'll start sometimes with things like that. But I would encourage anybody listening. It's like, what's one thing that you know you need to start doing? It's been like coming to your mind, it's nagging you, you're seeing all these signs that are pointing towards doing this and you're not doing it. What's that one thing that you know you need to take action on? Start there. You don't know what the next step is going to be to make $50,000 until you start moving. You have to start moving for the path to be cleared and the way to be revealed. So what's that one thing? Is it moving? Is it getting active on social media? Is it taking a course? Is it stopping making excuses for how you don't have time because you have kids okay i mean if that's giving you a result you want keep using that excuse or decide to take action right right i mean i guess in in your business i would imagine i mean most of the people you work with are moms right and and then a lot of the work i'm sure predominantly gets done when kids are at school so when when summer hits, kids are home. Now people are traveling. They want to spend time with their kids. And and you see that a lot, I think, in the health and wellness space as well, like just from a fitness standpoint, like in my business and in training and the gym space, like you see people that will disappear sometimes for the summer and they come back in September and they're like expecting to like be where they were like before the summer. And it's like, well, you took three months off from exercising and you ate like crap over the summer. Like, what did you expect to happen? Other than having people that you coach, like set these small achievable goals and, and stack these small habits, like what are some other things you you do to help them stay motivated throughout these times where their schedule is a bit more free? I try to help them shift their perspective, okay? because I feel like a lot of people fall off the bandwagon because they don't have a healthy perspective. They're all or nothing, right? They're all in with their kids and nothing in with their business. They're all in with their kids and nothing in with their fitness. And they just shift on the pendulum back and forth. And so a lot of what I do through coaching and mindset is helping people to shift their perspective and to understand that your priorities are not in competition with one another, okay? My kids are not in competition with my business. My kids are not in competition with my body. Like there is no competition. There is no, well, the kids are out for the summer and my priorities are the kids. My priorities are the family. It's like, no, they're all priorities because my business feeds my kids. 
Like my business is a priority because it supports my family. Me staying fit and healthy and well, that's a priority because it helps me to show up as a mom with energy. It helps me to stay young. It helps me to be engaged. Like it makes me a better mom that's more sane too, right? So my fitness is a priority. It's not competing with my kids. Me having a happy family and a good home life is also a priority because it contributes to what I produce in my business and my mindset and how I feel. And so I think a lot of people drop off the bandwagon because they don't have a healthy perspective about priorities. And they think, okay, during this three month season, I have to just go all in with my kids. And it's like, is that really true? Or is that just an expectation you think? Have you decided that, you know, if you're not 100% all in, whatever that means, you're not gonna be a good enough mom, a good enough father, a good enough wife, whatever it is. And so perspective shift, we talk about that. And the way that I hone this in, and, and I will bring this to life for you guys that are listening, is that two nights ago, we did an exercise with our whole family, right? I put a piece of paper for each of them around the table. And my 12-year-old thought I was going to make them meditate. And so he started leading meditation and totally making fun of the whole thing. Like, because I have four boys, 15, 14, 12, and 10, and then two princesses, okay? So the boys like to razz me sometimes for what I do, but I know they love it because I'm, I'm great at motivating and inspiring and stuff. So he's like, okay, we're going to meditate. I'm like, they're no. Like, mom, they're like, mom, where'd you hear that from? Like Tony Robbins, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly, because they've heard it all too. My 15-year-old my started a personal development podcast a couple of years ago, you know? So anyways, I put a piece of paper in front of them and I said, you know, what does your dream summer look like? What are some things that you would like to do? Like what would make for an awesome summer? And then the next thing was, what's one thing you want to improve on this summer? Like, what's one thing you want to grow in, you want to improve on, you want to get better at? And then the last one is like, how can you be more helpful? How can you be a team player? Like, what's something you can do? You could even do this with your partner if you don't have kids, right? You could sit down and do this. And I was floored by their answers because here I am still, you know, I've done all this growth and I'm expecting my kids are going to want to do all this fancy crap that's going to take a lot of time and I'm going to have to figure out how to be a mom that likes to do crafts and I don't like to do crafts. You know, like I was thinking it was going to be all this stuff and it was like, have shave ice on a hot summer day, have movie night three times or more a week. It was the simplest stuff. And I had this like expectation that only I had placed on myself. Going back to expectations that we were talking about earlier is like, are you putting an expectation on yourself for the summer or for the holidays or for Thanksgiving or for whatever that nobody else has? That's a self-imposed expectation. And I was able to, in that moment, remember, okay, like what we're doing is already enough. I don't have to ramp it up because it's summer. I'm going to keep my habits with my fitness because it contributes to me being a happier mom, being more productive, having more energy. I'm going to keep my habits in my business because my business provides a killer lifestyle for my kids that they enjoy and for us as a couple. And it's not harming my kids. They're used to this. They're used to me working. Why am I going to become summer mom? Why am I going to change who I am? Like, I am who I am. This is always who I am. Like, stop shifting into summer mom and Christmas mom and Thanksgiving mom. Like, just develop who you are. This is who I am. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I like to work. And my priorities don't compete. They're um, synergistic. 
They support each other. So perspective shift, I think, can really help a lot of people. And also, like, let's be honest, you have to ask yourself, what do you really want in life? We talk a lot about what you really want, what your why is, why it matters, and what you feel convicted about. So if you really want to get fit, you really want to lose shape, it's affecting your marriage maybe, or it's affecting your intimacy, or it's affecting your health, or it's affecting whatever. Like, you really want to get healthy? You got to get serious with yourself. Like, am I serious about this? Is this actually a priority? If it's a priority, I'm going to schedule it in. It's going to happen no matter what. If it doesn't really matter to you, you'll never have time for it. Gay Hendricks says in the book, The Big Leap, he says, you'll never have enough time for the things you really don't want to do. You'll never have enough time for the things you really don't want to do. So what do you actually want in your life and what's going to get you there? Because if you really want it, you'll do the things that you need to do. Motivation, like Mel Robbins says, is garbage. It's totally garbage. I just set it up in my schedule. I'm like, this is what I do. This is who I am. I work out. I did not want to work out this morning. It's hot. Like, I did not want to do it, but it's who I am. It's what I do. And once you get yourself into motion with whatever it is you say you want and the actions it's going to take to get there, even if you're not motivated, the motivation comes. The excitement comes. You're generating the energy. It's not coming from outside of you. It's coming from within you. So just start. Make the commitment. Hold your feet to the fire and do it, whether you feel like it or not. You'll feel like it eventually. Right. That was a lot and it was really, really informative. And I loved your perspective like on like how to incorporate kind of what you're doing within within the family. And it's like you said, like your kids kind of give you a hard time about it, but it's all in good fun. But then also like talking to them about more, like the activities that they want to be doing and how that can be really eye-opening for you. And then just even what you just shared recently about like really changing your perspective and asking yourself, like, what is it that you want in life? Like, what's your why? Like really dig deep and make sure that you're planning your life according to that. So Brooke, this has been awesome. I think people are going to get really motivated and inspired not just by like the tips and tactics you've shared and what you do, but also by your story and how you've taken like so many negatives in your life and turned them into positive. So if people want to connect with you online, they want to learn more about your journey, like where's the best place for them to do that? I think Instagram. I've got an account there now, right? I didn't start out with one, but at Hemingway Half Dozen on Instagram, uh, my website, brookhemingway.com. We can stay connected there. I send a, an email out every Wednesday called Wednesday Wisdom, just different thoughts and, and tips on how to up-level, whether it's in your health or your relationships or your business and productivity. So they can connect with me in those places. Sweet. Well, thanks again. I will make sure to plug all that information in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Brooke said as to like her early days getting started in her business. Maybe it was something that she said about some of the healing she had to do in the relationship with her husband. Maybe it was something that she just recently said about like stuff with her kids or just staying consistent and motivated during the summer months or during times where your schedule is a little bit more free. Whatever it was, tag Brooke and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.